0: shelter and you my God, and there you give me rest, you are my refuge and my safety, my strength is in your name. of my life With love that conquers my every fear Your kindness drops me near And though I stumble, you won't And you direct my every step You hold me in your hands Oh, I stay in your grave I stand in your grace, and I praise your great day. oh, I stand in your grace, and I praise your great day I stand in your grace.
1: Good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you guys are doing okay this morning, Um, if you're in the room, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. You don't have to. Give me a sec. I'm going to tune. Wait for it. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, yeah, if you're here, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You can stay seated if you want to. If you are watching us on the internet, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my
0: sin. Lost without hope, no peace. To regain. your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my love began. When ash was redeemed, only beauty remained My orphan heart was given a My mourning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free washes away. made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins My chains, I'm a prisoner No more My shame was a ransom He cancelled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began Oh, you're yeah. To the darkness you give hope You restore every heart that is broken And great are you, Lord It's your breath in my lungs So we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your bread In our lungs So we pour out our praise To you oh. You give life You are love You bring life the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken Your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. pour out our praise
2: if you can would you stand with us and uh, read along with me all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. Amen. You guys really understand
1: what you just read. Um, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, and I'm going to try not to cry. It's a little special to me. Most of you probably know. um, Both of our girls are adopted, and so... uh, I think when, on this side of things, when we talk about adoption, I don't know how you view that or how that hits you or what you think about it, if it's this cool concept or whatever. Um, We decided in advance to adopt our girls. They had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. They probably could have had a better family, but they had nothing. Had nothing to do with it. We decided in advance to adopt them. And there's absolutely nothing that would change them being our girls. And so when we read through these things of being adopted, I don't know how it hits you. I don't know if it gets you where it needs to get you. The fact that you are adopted, it's not just this, hey, you know, God kinda likes me and he kind of accepts me into the family. It's like you are adopted. You are adopted. There's no going back on that. There's nothing these two little girls are gonna do that's ever gonna make me think, no, you're not my kid. You out sinned, you out did, you you didn't perform, you didn't do the things that you're supposed to do as a Jackson. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. They are adopted, they're my kids, they'll forever be my kids. And that's how God views us. And I hope that blows you away. I hope that just makes you stop in your tracks and be like, this is crazy. This is crazy that the God of the universe, before time, before you even existed, said, I'm going to adopt that kid. I'm going to bring that person into my family. And it's, it's irrevocable. You can't walk away from it. He's done everything. We went to court. We signed the papers. They did absolutely nothing. All they do is they come into the family. That's it, guys. <laughs> All we do is come into the family. And now we're His. We're His forever. We're His forever. We can't walk away from that. It doesn't make sense. Uh, we want us so badly to earn His good graces and earn His favor. But you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you already did everything you need to do. You said yes. Actually, He said yes. <laughs> so I hope it hits you. I hope you enjoy the fact that you're adopted. I hope it hits you in a place that maybe it's never hit you before, that this isn't just some, hey, God's kind of likes me and he kind of brought me into the family. I like, no, it's it's done, guys. It is so completely done. So completely done, you can't go back. I'm gonna stop talking the-
0: Amén would freely come and die in my place. Why you would walk my path or why you would even look my way. Don't know why you care. gave your life so I could live. And so this life I freely gave. You gave your life so I could live. And so this life I freely gave. You gave your so I could This sun that's very Amen. Amen. And, and my soul, my savior God, to the How great thou, Oh how great
1: God, we, uh, we were blown away by your grace, absolutely blown away, the fact that you would look upon us and call us your kids. God, I ask for that you let that sink down deep inside of us this morning. God, I know there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of doubt and worry that's going on in the world right now, and rightfully so, but I ask God that we as your children would be able to rest, we'd be able to rest in the goodness, God, that you have done all the work. You've done everything that needs to be done, God, and we can just rest in the fact that we are your kids, forever your kids. God, we thank you and we praise you. We ask so that you would open our hearts, open our ears this morning to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Amen. Good morning, church family. How are you today? Yeah, all right. Lively bunch. We all had our coffee. That's good. All right. Hey, uh, I just have a quick announcement for our students and for our parents. Uh, it's been just a little bit strange over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We haven't met together in our large group, but we have this really awesome uh, fall retreat that's coming up here soon on October 15th through the 17th. And so I just want to keep this in front of you. I need you to please, if you are going, sign up today because I got to order shirts. (laughs) <laughs> that's really the only reason uh <laughs> i gotta order some shirts and so i need to know if you're coming and uh the other thing is we uh, are going to do a parent student uh info meeting uh, for the fall retreat next sunday october 3rd right after the 9:30 service We're going to stay right in here and do that right over here uh, to make it convenient and easy for everyone. I'm really excited about this retreat. We're going to wrestle with some uh, difficult questions about God. If God is so good, why is there still evil? You know, uh, questions like that. And so the theme for our weekend, just so you know, is if God. And so we're going to spend some time together being rejuvenated and also wrestling with some tough questions about God. All right. So remember, if you're going, please sign up today. There's a sign-up right out in the lobby there at the student table, okay? Thank you very much. That's all I have. Let's get into the Word.
4: After I'm done. After I'm done making a couple more announcements. I know I'm not on yet. There I am. Um, Good morning. I got a better response than you did. You are so fun to watch play the drums. I mean, you and Matthew are like opposites. Matthew's up there like, he doesn't move his head. You're like, he studies the word with heavy metal music. I do. I do. Satan loves that, dude. I just want you to know that. I'm just kidding. Lighten up. He's got cool hair. Mine's just like, Okay. Couple more announcements. Next week, as you know, we've taken a couple weeks off because a lot of our leadership at Carpenter's Way got COVID uh, in our children's ministry, and they are healing, and we're thankful for that. And uh, so, that's all opening up next Sunday morning, okay? Not this Wednesday night, Sunday morning, so we'll have uh, GPS again, we'll have Bible study, child care, and then the following Wednesday night, we're going to go full-blown again. So, thank you for your patience with us. Those of you watching online, you can come back, we'll have child care for you and all, and uh, so I wanted to mention that and with that next Sunday morning starting at 9 30 till about 11 45 we are going to have our new members class that takes place in the library I've had a lot of you show interest in that and, and sign up you don't need to sign up just show up and so that's at 9 30 and it goes to like I said about 11:45 or noon uh, but we have child care going on in parallel to that so if you have children uh, make sure you take your kids to that so uh, but that is next Sunday and um, I think I think that does it for the announcement except that I'm about to be a grandfather again. So let's close in prayer. Yes, it's... Do- Don't look at me strange. I asked permission to announce it. You get to decide which of my daughters is going to have a baby. Let's... let's. You guys turn so fast on me. I mean, it's like... Why are you rooting for everybody but me? I could use a little encouragement. I'm just kidding. Hannah, we are very, very excited and pray for her. This baby has been a nuisance to her eating habits. So, but the good news is all the weight she's lost because she's been nauseated, I've gained. So God is good, right? I'll stop now. Let's, uh, I, I want to pray. Okay, so before I do, um, I've had the privilege of flying not only just around this country but around the world. And sometimes when you're sitting in an airport... Well, you're always looking, is my flight delayed? Is my flight delayed? But sometimes you look beyond the screen to the sky outside, and it starts to get dark, and you realize there's a storm on the horizon, and it is going to cause problems. So while you're waiting to board for that three and a half hour wait. While you're sitting there, your stomach's a little bit anxious because of those clouds. Then you finally board the plane. Okay, we're going to take off. And as they as you go out to the runway and you look, and I remember one time in particular Julie and I were flying into Milwaukee and we literally out of the left side of the plane saw a tornado. It was very strange. But as we are, you're about to take off, and this happened once in Denver. Denver is a horrible airport to land in and take off from. Uh, it's like, hey, we're going to make everybody go to the bathroom in their seat. So <laughs> Uh, But one time, as you're waiting to take off, and as you start to take off, you go, okay, so the the clouds are at about 1,500 feet, and once we hit those clouds, we are gonna be banged all over the cockpit, right? Have you flown much? That's just how it is. And then, but what's amazing is, you do get bumped around, and I'll tell you, there's one thing worse than when everybody screams, it's when everybody gets dead quiet. When everybody gets dead quiet, that's because they're waiting for the plane to fall out of the sky. And it's funny because I always hold on to the metal brackets underneath as if that's going to save me, <laughs> waiting for them to go get in your crashed positions. I guess that's kissing your rear end goodbye. But you're holding on and you're waiting to get through the clouds and it's bumping and you're going up and down and it's really, you know, what's ironic is you're going only going up and down about 10 feet. It feels like hundreds, but you're going up and down and then all of a sudden it stops and you look out the window and there's clear skies. It's absolutely gorgeous, and you look out, and there's a sea of clouds. You can't see the earth at all. All you see is the beautiful sand-like clouds, and you see the beautiful sun and the beautiful sky, or if you're flying at night over the ocean, you see the stars like you've never seen them before, and you look up, and it's just peace. That's where we're at right now. We're all kind of riding through the clouds. Let's, Let's just be honest. Even if you're doing well, it's just a cloudy season. We all know people who have COVID or who are dying from COVID or have died and we're watching the news and whether you're right or left, it's just our country, just feel, the world, just ah, uh, and we're, we're riding the clouds and it's like we're holding on to our seats going, God is good, God is good, God is good, just get me above the clouds. Well, this morning, I have the unique opportunity to remind you of what's above the storm. And uh, I had the best time in the Word this week. Everything that we sang this morning, it's so true. And while Chad presents in a four-minute song what the facts are, I get to tell you this morning why they're the facts. And this morning, if you come in here hurt by people or angry with people, or if you're angry at the government, or if you're mad at your spouse, or if you're, if you're worried... About whatever, I just want to say in light of what we're about to study, none of, that makes, none of that matters. We need to get above the clouds. At least the children of God, because we have hope based on promises by the King of the universe. And this morning, I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us in a very personal way. We're going to get into a bunch of Scripture. I'm going to encourage you to get a pen and paper out so that you can make sure I'm accurately dividing the truth so you can look these verses up. But let's pray together and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that we can gather together this morning in a turbulent time in our lives and look forward to giving, getting above the clouds. But Lord, just, um, just like we look around the plane and if we see somebody in a pilot's uniform, we kind of watch them to make sure they're not panicking. May we as the church not panic because we know what's coming. We know that no matter how it feels, we are safe And so I thank you for this morning's text that reminds us, Lord Jesus, of just how truly safe we are and what's coming and why. So I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by looking at at Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are very, very well-known verses, but I, I want you to engage your brain this morning. I believe with all my heart that the more you think, the more free you're going to experience, more freedom you're going to experience, the more of God's peace you're going to experience. So I want you to be a critical thinker. I want you to think I'm wrong, so you need to check the text. I want you to know what the Scripture says about God. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, Paul has just finished explaining how a person is saved. And so he, he begins chapter 12 with this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, now that you're saved, now that you know how you're saved, now that you have a right relationship with God, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be your lives, your bodies. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is how we truly worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now pause, okay? We all get that. That's usually where we stop. We think to ourselves, okay, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to drink uh, over drink. I'm not going to do drugs. But that's not what he's talking about here. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Rather, but it's a connective word, let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think. So in other words, I don't want you to be changed or transformed the way the world transforms. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about drinking or dancing or smoking. He's talking about how we're changed, how we are changed and how we live. And it tells us here that God wants to transform us into new people by changing the way we think. It is then that we will learn to know what God's will is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, we don't learn God's will for our life by by reading books on knowing God's will for your life. We don't, read, we don't know God's will for our life by seeking lots of counsel, which is nothing wrong with that, but we learn God's will in our life by letting God transform the way we think and therefore change the way we behave. And that is the spiritual battle for the child of God because sin is no longer your issue, as you're going to find. God wants to change, to change us, but not as the world changes us from the outside in, self-help, psychology, which is okay at times, but it won't get you to the peace of God. But God wants to change us from the inside out by changing how we think and then ultimately changing our behavior. Last week, we ended our time together reading this crazy article about Americans who desire to stay in Afghanistan. And the reason I read it is because I had heard our president say over and over, only those who want to leave, those who want to leave have been taken out. And whether or not that's true or not, the point was, my brain went, why would any American want to stay? And I'm a, I fear telling you That that's how my thinking was. And then that article last week that I ended the message with said, well, those people are called missionaries who love God, their task, and those people more than they love safety. Wow! Wow! Cecil Jackson has a friend, and I I didn't tell you I was going to use this, but he has a friend. I don't think it was a roommate in college. But he has a... What was the movie called? The Ranger movie. the, The Free Burma Rangers. This guy is a man of God who gave his life to helping rescue people that people aren't rescuing. The question is, well, that must be because he's an adrenaline junkie. That's not true. Missionaries are not adrenaline junkies. They are servants of the Most High God who say I am willing to sacrifice my life for His purposes. That's what they and we do. And I don't think like that. How tragic that your pastor didn't think like that. I didn't even think that there were missionaries wanting to stay there. And so in last week's message, we had talked about that. We talked about the fact that, that we are to love God and His mission more than self. That is a different way of thinking, leader, leading to a different way of decision-making, of behaving. The problem the followers of Jesus struggle with is, is, is we we try, and it's, it's natural, okay? I'm not dogging this. I'm not saying knock it off. It's just how it is. We are constantly battling with the will of God, trusting Him with the will of the flesh, right? We get our feelings hurt because somebody treats us a way that we don't deserve to be treated. And we know that Scripture says that we should make allowance for each other's weakness. But it, But it's like, this is an exception. Because we think we're the exception. I'm not dogging you. It's all of us. We feel, we get frustrated because the President doesn't act the way we think they should act or... Or is it an agreement with us in our way of thinking? Or the world? Or culture? or And we just get irritated. And we ask questions like, well, if I don't fight this, who will? And so we have this will of the flesh, this body, this thing. And yet the will of God. And so it's hard to... Our, our battle is trusting God, isn't it? Trusting God. What if the ship sinks? Sometimes it does. Ask Paul, remember? The ship sank. But Paul trusted God. And and that's difficult. The problem that we struggle with is marrying our flesh and the personal pursuit of happiness which is built into our our rights as Americans with total and complete sacrifice or surrender of self to a life for God. Which Jesus called us for graphically when he yelled at the crowd following and says, if any of you want to be my followers pick up your cross and follow me where I'm going. And they didn't know he was going to die then. We do. The call of the follower of Jesus is to actually pick up their cross and follow Him. What? What about Israel? What about America? What about my family? What about my grandkids? Do you trust me, Mark? Not really. Wait, which one of those did you hear? I, you laughed. It's hard. That's the battle. I honestly think that we have salvation down. We sing about it, we talk about it, and we do that pretty well. Uh, we, we, but we think of it in terms of being saved from sin so that we don't have to go to hell. Uh, that is how the evangelists in the 1800s presented it. That's how EE, e. Evangelism Explosion, presents it. You don't want to go to hell, do you? If you were to stand before God and He said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Well, I've accepted your forgiveness for sin, so now I don't have to go to hell. I'm here to tell you that the Bible talks about salvation not by way of just dealing with your sin. We sang it this morning. We read it together that God's unchanging plan was to make us pure and holy so that His eternal plan of adopting us would come into place. The reason why that moves, Chad, and I love your heart being moved. Because I think sometimes we see the songs that you write, Chad, and it's like, oh, Chad wrote another song. When we we see that cup overflow with emotion, it's it's touching, is it not? I heard you in like the fourth line of the song, Chad lost control of his emotions again. Musicians. Actually, he stopped. He, he, he started choking up again, which I loved. And I'm, I'm not shaming you. I just want to talk real. We're a family. This is our living room. And you picked up the song. Why? Because you're helping him. That's what the body of Christ does. We help him. We say, yeah. And then we're moved by it. We go, why is Chad weeping this morning? He's weeping because his daughters were adopted. Oh, that's right. God's unchanging plan for us was to be adopted. And he has a special understanding of how God feels about us because of how he feels about his kids. The truth is that we've allowed it to be turned into a discussion of eternal sin versus eternal righteousness, when in reality God wanted it to be a discussion of love, of adoption into his family. And when we forget that, we live in the clouds. We live in the clouds of, well, I just feel like, or I'm just going to, or how dare they, or we live in the clouds of, I deserve better, so then we do stupid stuff. Because I deserve better, and and we forget why we don't deserve better. Remember last week, we talked about grace and mercy and the difference. Mercy is what you get when you are redeemed, because you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is not being sent to hell. We deserve hell. If somebody says, how are you doing, and you have, are having a bad day, if you don't want to gripe, you can say, better than I deserve. Because that's true, biblically. That's absolutely true. Well, what do you deserve? I deserve to be cast away from God, but he has, by mercy, brought me close to himself. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Like heaven, and each other, and songs like Chad leads us in, and, and joy, and beautiful fall weather, and rain that we love, and sun that we love. All those things. That's, that's grace. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately and we've talked about, and this is not an attack on any of you because we all struggle with this, okay? This is us together. Somebody said to me this morning, I'm looking forward to this message. I got your point. I got your email yesterday, and I said, I'm looking forward to it too. I never know what's going to happen, although I have an outline. But let me be clear. Um, we say in our culture, when something good happens, God's been faithful. I lived. God's been faithful, he healed me. God's been faithful, blah, blah, blah. The problem is that's doctrinally incorrect. God is never not faithful. Because what he's faithful to is his promises. That's what he's faithful to. That's what Chad was talking about this morning. You can't walk away from something that's been thrust upon you. We're going to get into that in today's text. What God has been when he answers prayer as we ask them is gracious. God was gracious to us because when we flipped the car, and this didn't happen, I'm making this up, when we flipped the car, we all lived. How gracious is God? If we would have died, God is just as faithful. Do you see what I'm saying? and words matter. We have to be careful because we're giving the idea that God always brings about good in this existence, and that's not true. And when we believe that, we live in the clouds. <laughs> well, what are you doing, God? What are you doing, God? Okay, God, just don't, I'm not worried about getting out of the clouds. Just help me survive the clouds. And God's going, no, I want you above the clouds. We've put our hope in what's above the clouds, not what's in the cloud. Are you find the picture? All right, so let's get into our text. This is why Paul was so upset with the Galatians, who are now who have accepted the gospel, and we're going to get into that, and are now adding to it, because it's like, why would you actually climb to fifty thousand or thirty-five thousand feet, get above the clouds, and then all of a sudden descend back into the clouds as if you flap your wings in the plane, you're going to be okay. Don't live in the clouds. With that said, let's jump in. Galatians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Paul explains to us how he lives above the clouds. Paul explains to us how he actually lives in a way that if people hate him, it's okay. If, if, if the world goes to hell in a handbasket, how does he still find peace? Because when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. When I tried to flap my wings and get out of, the, out of the clouds, I didn't get out of the clouds. The more I tried, the more I ended up in trouble. So I died to flapping my wings, or the law, or religiosity. I stopped trying. This is Paul's word, not Mark's. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. Wait, 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 wait. Paul, are you saying that you no longer live by the Ten Commandments? Yes. That's what it says. That's what it says. Why? Why? I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I could live for God. You see, when you're living by the Ten Commandments or religiosity or to please the church or to please someone or something, you're obsessed with that something or yourself. When you're free, you can stare at God, which has always been the point. When you're, the best thing they could do in a plane is make a, uh, like, like a sunroof. Then you could look up and go, "We're almost to the clouds." We're almost to the clouds. They need a front. They need a front camera that you can put on your screen in front of you, so you can go, "Okay, we're going through clouds. We're about to... Oh, going through a cloud. It's going to get rough here. I got to give... Okay, we're now out. Okay, I can relax because that is true. If you've flown much, you know, in clouds is turbulent. Above clouds, much of the time is not. And I'm I'm not a pilot, so I'm just generalizing. If we could just keep our eyes on the horizon. If we could just keep our eyes up. Heather has a thing with her women's Bible study class. Eyes up. We're struggling with that right now. Why? The turbulent has us holding on. And we've got to trust. And Paul is saying, I have stopped trying to meet all the requirements of the law so that I might live for God. Obsessed with God. My old self, here's what's happened. My old self has been crucified with Christ. I don't even live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in this body... It's by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I put all my hope in him, where most of us, and especially Americans, and especially Texans, we put our hope in our own abilities, our guns, our, our traditions, our freedoms. And Paul is saying, we've got to put our hope in God. Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. The the thing that that becomes difficult is Paul is saying, look, I know many of you don't like me. If I wanted to be liked, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel of Christ. I just want you to know, and then he goes on with chapter one and two, to say the reason that I have to move beyond that is because I've been crucified. In the life I live in the body, I no longer live for myself. I live trusting in God. And he turns to the Galatians and he says, what has happened to you? Who has bewitched you? The Greek here is pretty graphic. He is saying, when you got saved, you were obsessed with the meaning or the picture of Christ's death on the cross for your spiritual need. The inference is, they were staring at a, at a community signpost. They're staring at, in the middle of the town, there, was, there, there may be a document that is written there. And they're staring at it because it explains what Jesus Christ did. They refused to even look away from it. They were obsessed with Jesus' death. But now, somehow, over time, they're being seduced away from that obsession on the death of Christ. And I wonder if we remember the meaning of the death of Christ. I mean, I know we know what it means. I get to go to heaven, gold streets, but do we really remember what we sang about this morning? And so in this morning's message, in the the next few minutes, I want to go through five things. Write these down. Because you cannot afford to forget these. Five things. And you can go back in the archives and watch this later and you can write these down. But you need to know these because I'm telling you, Satan wants us to forget these. He wants us to think, now that we're saved, he wants to think, oh, I'm saved I'm going to heaven. But America, but my family, but COVID, but our president, but, 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 but. There's always a big butt involved, isn't there? I meant B-U-T. Knock it off. There's always a but, isn't there? These five things keep us looking through the sunroof on the plane and through the front window at what's coming because of what has already happened. The first one is Romans 5, 6 through 8. And I'm just going to put these on the screen because I just want you to see them. The first thing that happened because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the first thing is when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us. How? By sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. In other words... It wasn't after we renounced whatever our sin is. He, Jesus Christ, died 2,000 years ago while we were yet sinners. In fact, Romans 5, Colossians 1 actually refer to us as enemies of God. So the first point is that while we were the very enemies of God, He died for us. He sent His Son to die for us. Chad talked this morning about about the court case, that that, that the the girls didn't do anything to be adopted. They did one thing. They received these cute little teddy bears that they still carry around to this day. They carry them all the time. And by the time they're 30 and still carrying them, they're going to be a little dirtier. But that's what they do. What did they do? They got grace. They received mercy. And because of the mercy that their mom and dad showed, they're not going to end up on the street. They'll have hope for college or a career. They have hope for now. They don't have to worry about what to eat tonight because no matter what happens to Chad's job and Teresa's job, they will make sure, even if they work at Sam's greeting you, that those girls are fed. Why? That's the benefit of adoption, right? But even more, those girls will never worry about their future because mom and dad will always be there to protect them. It doesn't mean their life won't be difficult. It doesn't mean there won't be scary days. It doesn't mean there won't be turbulence. But while those girls were just two little relatively, emotionally, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this perfectly, but, but bear with me, unconnected. Before they were adopted, they were loved, and they decided. I remember when Chad, uh, shared, Chad and Teresa shared with Julie and I the pictures of the kids. It looks like we got one. And that one didn't work out, if I remember correctly. It looks like we got one, and that one worked out. And that's our Mia, that little debutante. Have you seen her pictures? She's cool. And then there's Charlie, second adoption, who's not afraid of anybody. What is your name? Well, I'm Pastor Mark, as she walks into my closed-door office. So different and imperfect in different ways and perfect in other ways, but so loved by them and us. Adoption. We can sit here all day and talk about America and Texas and freedom and COVID and we can talk about who caused it and why it caused it but one thing surpasses all that. We are loved by God and each other. We got to never forget that family. While we were yet sinners God was moving to make it possible what we enjoy right now. While we were yet sinners. While we were the enemies of God He was setting in place this. The second thing is uh, the second thing is 1 Peter 2.24. This is out of the NIV. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It is by his wounds we have been healed. And I just want to sidebar this for a second and tell you this, cracks, this, this just makes me crazy every time I hear a faith healer use this verse to talk about physical healing. It's better than physiological healing. It is spiritual, eternal healing. It is by his wounds we have been healed, family. We have been healed of what? Separation from God. We we have been healed from having to take our punishment for sin. And what happened is in Christ's death, he took our punishment. Look, uh, in songs, even one this morning, and and songs we sing, too often it's like, he has forgiven my sin. He has canceled my sin. I want to say that I believe that's doctrinally inaccurate. This is just Mark, okay? Our sin was not canceled. Our sin was not forgotten; it was paid for. The reason Jesus was beaten, stripped naked, mocked, and hung on a cross was that's what we deserve, and He took it for us. Too often we go, "Well, God is the judge; He can just decide to not charge us guilty." That wasn't possible. If it would have been, he would have done that. But there are laws in eternity that even God has to submit to. And one is he can't fellowship with sin. So our sin had to be dealt with, not just ignored. And he didn't ignore our sin. He put it on Jesus. This verse, we were once far away... This is the third thing. Here we go. Who, you who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are present tense. What's that word? What? You are holy and blameless as you present tense stand before him without a single thought. False. So here's the deal. When God put my sin on Jesus, and I'm, I think it's the next verse. Yes. He became. Let's jump to the next one and then I'll explain these. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who knew no sin on our behalf, to become... Let me try again. I'm overheating. He made him, who knew no sin, we're talking about Jesus Christ, to be or become sin... Take that in. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become... The righteousness of God. In other words, what happened on the cross was God exchanged our sinfulness with Jesus's righteousness and did that. Which takes me back to the previous thing that says, the previous verse that says, I stand before him right now, pure and holy. Why do I stand before him right now, pure and holy, when I had lustful thoughts last night? When I had angry thoughts? When I got mad and said things I I regret? When I said dumb things? When I was unforgiving? Why? How is it that right now, while I'm still struggling with sin in my flesh, how can I be pure and holy? Because what happened on the cross was not Jesus going, I guess I'll let you into heaven. It was the Father saying, I'm going to exchange the righteousness of the Trinity with the sinfulness of humanity, and I'm going to exchange it for anybody who believes. In other words, I stand before you this morning as righteous and holy as Jesus. What? You've got a big mouth. You overspeak. You step on people. Sometimes you're disrespectful. Not me. The truth is, I am not pure and holy because I'm good. I am pure and holy because God is good. And He exchanged my sinfulness. When Jesus died on the cross, you ready for this? He deserved it. Because he was wearing my sin and your sin. Your sin is not forgotten just because it's forgotten. I know we can go to Psalms another time and talk about the east from the west. I'm talking about this idea that we wink at each other to make, maybe to make ourselves feel better that God is just as a judge just decided to put our sin away or cancel it. That's not true. It was not canceled. It was put on Jesus. And he died and was killed, and was slaughtered in the same way that we deserved it. And therefore, he exchanged his, sin, his righteousness with my sinfulness, and I stand before you this morning, according to Romans, Colossians, uh, Galatians, I stand before you this morning pure and holy, not because I have deserved that or earned it, but because of God's grace. His mercy keeps me from being condemned. His grace declares me holy. And even if I offend you or your family or I hurt you or I sin against you, I still stand before God pure and holy. Now that's different than me or me sinning against Julie. I can sin against Julie and I need to make that right. But we're talking about eternal, which is way more important than this. This is super important. Look at all the stuff that was done for us and, and the meaning of the cross. The meaning of all this. We were utterly helpless when he died. Second of all, he bore our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. The third thing, he reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ. He did that by exchanging his righteousness with my sinfulness. You are holy if you are his child today. And finally, Chad, this one's for you, buddy. Hebrews 13, NIV. Does that not move anybody anymore? Are two Baptists to think that's amazing? Seriously. I know that most of you believe in eternal security, but we're not talking about a doctrine here. We're talking about the fact that God says, since I did everything, since I'm the eternal high priest, since I paid the price before you were even righteous, before you even knew me, since I died for you, since I called you to myself, since I exchanged your sinfulness with His righteousness, because of all that, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. What Chad said this morning, you can't out-sin His grace, you can't outrun His grace, you can run, but you cannot hide. Well, I knew a pastor who's an agnostic or an atheist now, and he was once First John. They were never of us. They left us because they were never of us. The truth is, if you are truly the child of God, you're going to be the child of God because he did how much? All. You are saved not because you're good-looking, which you are, because you're nice, which most of you try to be, because you go to church every week, which is a nice thing, You are saved because of the work of God. And these believers in Galatia had forgotten that. They they took their eyes off the ball. Look at Galatians 3, 1-4. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you, as if you had seen a picture of the death on the cross. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect in your own, in, by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? <clears throat> now, I, I want to I call time out because there may be some watching online or here in this room that does not know how a person goes from being sinful to being holy. Romans three, twenty one to twenty five. Here it is. God has shown us a way of being made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was in promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. In other words, no matter how sinful, no matter how wicked, no matter what color you are, no matter what socioeconomic status you're from, no matter uh, what religion you are, no matter what you grew up in, no matter how many people you've killed, no matter how, much, how many people you've slept with, nothing. No matter who you've slept with. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're made right with God. For everyone to sin, verse 23. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Here we go. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life shedding His blood. It's all God. And if you're wondering how you do that, let me be clear. It's not by walking an aisle or praying with a pastor or getting baptized. It's not by taking communion or the Eucharist. It's not by being in line with your local church. It is by running to Jesus who's the only one who can save you. Well, how do I do that? Run to Jesus who's the only one that can save you. Well, how do I do that? Run to Jesus. Well, where is he? I want to run to him right now. He's listening. Tell him what you're thinking. We've turned this into a a project. Walk, pray, baptize, boom. Church membership. It doesn't work. That was the wrong, that was the problem with Judaism. In Judaism, you did the same things. You joined, you were circumcised, blah, 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 blah. You were in. That's not how this works. This works when you realize that God is the only one who can bring you into His family. So run to Him. Well, tell me what to say. No! No! I'm not going to tell you what to say. Tell him the truth. God, I'm in trouble. The thief on the cross, cross, prayer for salvation, was kind of lousy if you think about it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You'll be with me today in paradise. We've turned this into a project and I know why we've done it. And I, I, I understand, but the point is, my friend, it is not about religion. It's not about doing. It's about accepting. Accept his offer to forgive your sin. Christian, if you have forgotten all that there is, if you are living in the guilt and shame of past decisions, if you're on your six, 16th marriage, if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, I'm here to tell you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Run to him. Well, can I be gay and be saved? Run to him and quit asking satanic questions. They'll worry about it in discipleship. God asks nothing of the unsaved person except to believe. But he will ask tons of you as a believer. Discipleship, it's upside down. Most of the things you'll feel and want, God will ask of you to give up. Like forgiving others, like being frustrated, like hating our government, like loving the U.S. more than you should, whatever, whatever it is. Overeating. We've labeled it down to sexual things and alcohol and drugs. I'm here to tell you it's everything giving up self, sacrificing self. But that's not how you're saved. You're saved by what Jesus did. More on that soon. I do want to add that there's a lot of stuff that we were taught in Sunday school that simply isn't in scripture. One of those things is, how do you know, pastor, how do I know I'm saved? I I haven't been living for the Lord. Um, How do I know? I I have this paper that a counselor gave to me after I prayed the sinner's prayer. Or I have a uh, a baptism certificate. Those are fine things, and those are obedient things, but let me be clear. None of them are going to be what gets you into heaven. It actually tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, what it is that separates in God's kingdom the saved from the unsaved. Romans 8, 9, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So the difference between a, in, in God's... So when you enter heaven, let's say that there's pearly gates, and let's say that there's Peter's there. None of those are true, but let's, let's just say, well, the pearly gates might be. But let's say that you enter and Peter's standing there with his book and he says, why should you enter in? Romans, uh, and we didn't go quite far enough, Romans, or Ephesians 1, you went to verse 9, I think we should have gone to 14, because he says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our deposit, guaranteeing us eternal life. What's a deposit? It's a ticket. When I get into the presence of the Lord, what I do is I exchange the Holy Spirit that's within me with eternal life. That's what I exchange. Now all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit's presence becomes a big honkin' deal. That's a Greek term. Why? Because how you know if you're saved has less to do with where you attended on Sundays and whether you walked in aisle or were baptized, but now it has everything to do with what's happening here, what's naturally transforming. If you are no different than you were before you were saved, and that's not just by your own estimation, it's by your spouse, by the people around you, but if you are the same person that got saved 30 years ago, you have every right to ask whether you're saved at all. Because the Holy Spirit's there, that's like say, oh, I'm not going to get into that, you know exactly what I'm saying. The difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is the saved person, the adopted child, is given the Holy Spirit and lives within them. More on this in Ephesians, or Ephesians Galatians 5. Because it's really important. We have, as, as evangelicals, whether you grew up in a charismatic church or a uh, a non-charismatic church, a Baptist church, we have put so much emphasis on our religiosity, communion, church attendance, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, being in the baptismal, all fine things. But just like the Jews were putting all their emphasis here on circumcision, we've put it on that. And Paul is saying, it isn't circumcision that saves you, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I remind you in this Galatians passage, he says to them, well, Galatians 3, 5. I ask you again, Does God give you the Holy Spirit? Pause. Are you saved? Same thing. To Paul, to God, that's the same thing. Did God give you the Holy Spirit? That's the difference between being saved and not saved. Did He give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It's because you believe in the message you heard about Christ. Does it make sense? Because this is super-duper important. we've, We've gotten so religious, so doctrinal, that we just scoot over all the important stuff. We're not talking about you should be changed. We're talking about you will be changed. We're not talking about a salvation you have to be good enough for. We're talking about a salvation that chases you before you were good at all. We're talking about a salvation that never leaves you because it was completely the work of God. We're talking about a salvation that has declared you this morning holy. Why? Because it's Jesus' holiness. You this morning are either saved and as holy as Jesus or you are not saved at all. There's no middle ground. There's no partially saved. There's no trying to be saved. There's no kind of saved. Well, I'm not the Christian I should be. That's a different question. Are you a Christian at all? Well, yeah. How do you know? I see the Holy Spirit working in me. That's the right answer. Pastor, you're killing me here. There's 40 years of Baptist here that is actually freaked out right now. That's why we go piece by piece through Galatians. It will be explained, and you will walk out of here. But I'm going to give you the short answer next time, if you're freaking out this morning here, watch this, if you're freaking out this morning because you're wondering if you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, instead of meeting with the pastor to have a doctrinal conversation go directly to the Savior if you're not 100% sure you're saved, even if you've been an elder or a deacon or a pastor, if you are not 100% you're saved this morning doctrine will not comfort you Jesus will, run to him Well, I I don't need to run to him. Why not? Are you too proud to? He's the Savior! I did that in a really weird voice. (laughs) What have we done to this? This is a personal, intimate relationship with your daddy. This was always about adoption. When Teresa has a problem with not Mia because she's perfect, but Charlie, little Charlie. I think I'm the only one who calls her Charlie, but I love the others do. I love that name. But little Charlie comes in, and I, I know that she has a sin nature, although I've never seen it. She has an, inv- an, inv- an invasive nature, not a sin nature. She's sweet. But she, when, she, when she sins against her mom, her mom doesn't go, that's it? Are you sure you're my adopted child? That's not a question she'd ask. That'd be unkind and unloving. God doesn't ask that either. And if you are doubting, and if Charlie, and she will because we all had kids that did this or grandkids, you don't love me anymore, which is a manipulative tool that kids play in order to get mom to tell them how much I love you, even though you just ate the cookie that I had saved for your father, right? Have I lost you? My ADHD is kicking into high gear. (laughs) The fact is that Charlie and Mia, and forgive me for using you this morning, you opened the door, but they're going to do things that are going to be wrong, and Teresa... As sweet as she is, she's got fire in that girl. And she's going to look at her kid and she's going to say, uh-uh, that is not what Jacksons do. We do that with little Sam. I love it when Hannah says to Sam, that is not Wilkie. Oh. <laughs> Wilkies are powders, okay, that's, the, that's what we are. But, but, I, uh, but they will, she will say that. And Mia and, and Charlie and Sam, they're so smart. You know what the next thing they're going to say is? <gasps> do you still love me? And then you melt and you hug them because that's what parents do, but the truth is it's a manipulative tool we can talk about a different time. But you just hug them and you say, of course you're a Wilkie. That doesn't mean I'm not going to whoop your butt, or I'm not going to dis For all of you in social services, that was figurative. <laughs> we don't whoop butts in our family. We give stern looking. <laughs> God, we do that with God too. Oh God, do you love me? But Sometimes we don't even go to God. We go to the pastor to find out the doctrinal truth. Stop it. Go to your dad. Go right to your dad and say, Dad, do you still love me? And he's going to go, Do you remember what I did? Remember those five things? You were my enemy when I died for you. I loved you so much, I sent my own begotten son to die for you. And I exchanged your sinfulness for His righteousness. And I did all this according to Ephesians 1 to make you adoptable and pure and holy. So you're pure and holy. But now, you're going to have to live with the mess you created. See, one of the most wonderful things God does is He leaves you in your addiction. Why? Because you're desperate for Him then. Just because you're forgiven by God doesn't mean that your wife isn't going to kill you for committing adultery. Just because... You're forgiven doesn't mean that your same-sex attraction is going to go away. He's asking you to sacrifice it. You see, we think that God's here to make life easy. Dear God, I'm in turbulent air. Please stop the turbulent air. Dear Mark, no. Hold on. I got this. Another 15 minutes and I'll have you above the clouds. I don't want to be above the clouds. I want good flight in the clouds. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I don't do that. You see, I set science in place. There's rules for living, and those rules have to be lived out. But I promise you, I'll hold your hand while you're riding in the clouds. Lord, the plane is crashing and we're dying. You have not been faithful to me. Oh, honey, I'm bringing you home. You misunderstand this. See, the goal isn't even above the clouds, the goal is heaven, it's home. You just thought I was going to make it easy here. No, honey. That in the garden, that set a a series of actions into place that I fixed. But now the question is, do you trust me? The answer is (laughs) no. It's okay. I'm going to let you meander in that a while, and then your answer will eventually be yes, I trust you. Is that not your life? You can say yes, more than two of you, because it's our life. This is tough. We're in those clouds. And right now, it's wonderful, as terrible as it is. Because we're deciding what we believe in. Do we believe that God should make turbulent clouds not turbulent? Or do we believe that God's got a plan sometimes for turbulence and sometimes for air? Because without those clouds, there's no rain, and then the world dies. Well, I don't want to fly in those clouds. Sometimes he'll let you fly above them. Sometimes he'll let you fly below them. Sometimes you'll drive. But when you're in a plane, there's going to be turbulence. I don't want turbulence. It's part of life. Galatians 3, five, and then I'm going to jump through. Here we go. Where are you on? five is up there. So I ask you again, does not God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. And I, and I want to pause because, because uh, if, if you've been with us any amount of time, this Abraham guy was not like, Abraham... We've made him a patriarch. This would make us think that he's a man of great faith. And I don't have time to go into his whole life. We'll do that in the coming weeks. But I want to remind you of who Abraham really was. He was told to follow God, who he didn't know as far as we knew, by taking only his wife to a land that God would provide for him. Instead, he takes his cousin Lot, who goes with him, who is a pain in his sheep forever. See what I did right there? The sheep. Okay, we'll move on. In other words, Abraham was not obedient. Then God says he's going to protect him. But he thinks his wife is too hot, that the kings of the foreign countries will want to marry them. So he talks his wife into saying it's not really his wife, she's his sister. Twice. In other words, he's not moral. God says that he'll give him a son as an heir. But God is too slow, so he sleeps with his wife's closest servant. In other words, he's not very trusting. Oh, man, he's just like us. Women are going, I would never give another woman to my husband. Not the point, ladies. The point is, we're constantly struggling with faith. Galatians chapter 15 says this. This is so good and we're almost done. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. He said, don't be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be be great. Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? (laughs) You don't think that's a weird thing to say to the king of the universe who created all things, who could smash you without a thought? What good is all your promises, God? I don't even have a kid. Wow, okay, little boy. Little Sam, I'm not going to spank you because that would be illegal in social services, but something bad's going to happen I'm not going to mention from the pulpit. Since you've given me more children, I'm even going to have to give my, my servant's household my wealth, he says. You've given me no descendants of my own. Oh, look who's blaming God. You haven't given me descendants. So... One of my servants is going to have to be the heir. Oh, man, is he a powder? Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside, and he said to him, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord at that point. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, if I was to go on and read the rest of the chapter, and two verses later, Abraham's going, That's good, but now I'm having second thoughts. How do I know that this promise is a good promise? What a bonehead. He's actually having verbal communication with God. God's talking with him. He's showing him stars. He's showing him sand. He gives him, next week we're going to get into a covenant he makes with him. But Abraham, even after all that, he is, he, he's still doubting God. And here in Galatians, uh, or, or in Genesis 15, 6 that I just read, it said, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. It wasn't even a good faith. It wasn't even mustard seed faith. It was half a mustard seed faith. This was a guy who constantly doubted, but he was declared righteous in theological circles, and I want you to learn some of these words. This is called imputed righteousness. So why have I picked this verse? Because it is what it sounds like. It's like vomiting. (laughs) That's not what it means, but I like it. Imputed. God threw up his righteousness on Abraham because he looked at his direction and said, okay, I get it. How do I know I should get it? But somewhere between I get it and how I know I should get it, God said, that's all I need. You just look my way, and I'm going to save you now. I'm going to give you everything I promised, dude. Everything I promised. And you know what else, Abraham? I'm going to declare you righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, again, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Abraham was declared righteous and holy, and so he was. Not because he figured it out, or he was good, or he talked with God, or he was circumcised. In other words, even stupid, arrogant, selfish, doubting people whose decisions are almost almost always counterproductive to what God is doing are saved because Galatians 3, 6, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Keep reading. And the real children of Abraham are not those who are invading your churches in Galatia right now telling you to become Jewish. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. Verse 8. What's more, the Scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be a blessing through you. So all who put their faith in Christ, as in anyone, Gentile, socioeconomic, color, race, genetics, religious upbringing, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of of his faith that I would like to add, he wasn't even good at. So my Seventh-day Adventist friends, my Church of Wells friends, my legalistic Pentecostal friends, my legalistic Charismatic friends, my legalistic Baptist friends, verse 10, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are actually under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not obey, observe and obey, how many? All the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So for those of you who think that tongues is required for salvation, then why aren't the other gifts required for salvation? Why pick one? For those of you who think you should keep Saturday holy, why not have little offering sacrifices with goats and and everything in your services? Why have you picked one rule over the other? You've got to answer for that because the same law that you're holding on to, the same legalisms, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, those same legalisms are just part of a whole series of 633 laws. Why are you picking the ones that seem easy for you? The truth is you can't keep 10. Who are you to say that? Because Jesus said if you hate somebody, you've committed murder. Well, that's Jesus. He's the only one that counts. Seriously. This is all about God. Verse 11. It's going to get pretty clear. So, it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law or being religious. For the Scripture says it is through faith that a righteous person has life. My Catholic friends, you cannot be Catholic enough, faithful enough to the Catholic doctrine and teachings. You can't take the Eucharist enough to be saved. Even the priests you are trusting are tainted, put your faith in Jesus alone. And by the way, this is the text that led Martin Luther to try to reform the Catholic Church. People are saved through faith alone. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the Scriptures, "'Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree.'" Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the very same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the Holy Spirit through faith. There it is. See, it isn't membership. It isn't Christian. It isn't any of those things. It's about the Holy Spirit coming and living within you. How do I get it? Through faith. Wow. I'm done. It's incredibly clear. And for those of us who are struggling right now, and it is a dark season, It's been a depressing week, kind of sad. I don't know if it's depressing. It's just sad. You know what I mean? You can't turn anywhere without, oh, that person too or this thing too. It's just dark. That's okay. There's always been seasons like that. If you really want to be encouraged, read some of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, pastors and missionaries and people there. What they're saying is this is not a happy time, but there is enormous joy. It's pretty incredible. And if you have questions, you can send an email to Julie at julie at cwbc.org, and she will send you some of the letters that she's been reading or places where you can read them. It's incredible. It's very encouraging. They're not like high-fiving each other. They're going through persecution, but they do have joy. Right, Julie? J-U-L-I-E-C-W-B-C.org. She's going to love that. Find Jesus in the turbulence because he's still there. And don't ever forget what he's done for you. And don't ever forget your position. Because if you do, what you're going to do is you're going to overcome the fear and you're going to start trying really hard to earn this thing. You'll never earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Just put your eyes on the back of his head and don't look away. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving, being merciful, being gracious, and making us your kids. Now, Father, we're holding tightly onto your hand because we are scared of the turbulence. But Lord Jesus, you do your thing, and we'll look forward to what's next. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody.